Just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together to look at your word. Guide and lead us as we open and look at it and show us what you would have us to see from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 16. And moreover, I saw under the sun that the place of judgment, the wickedness, was there. That the place of righteousness, that iniquity, was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalls the sons of man befall beast, even one thing befalls them as the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man has no preeminence over a beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows the spirit, the spirit of man that goes upward, and the spirit of the beast which goes downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing bit better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion for you, for who shall bring him, bring to see what shall be after him. This is a continuation of Solomon's bitter despair. <laughs> All right. As we read this, it's going to be very important for us to be uh, understanding this is not God's view of man that Solomon is portraying here in Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon's despair that he's talking about. And at the very end of this book, when he gets to chapter 12, verse 13, he said, let us now hear the conclusion of the matter that to keep the whole matter of man is to keep the commandments and to love God. So he comes to the end of this book and he gets to the end and he says, all that I've said has been is vanity and it is vanity when you do not put God in the middle of it. And this is what we're looking at is his statement. He starts out with this, I moreover saw under the sun. So when you see this term, under the sun, we've talked about this before, but when you see that term in Ecclesiastes, it's talking about what happens on earth without God. All right? So he's laying out a case of what he sees without God. And this should sound very familiar to us because we are living in the same perceptions that he's talking about here. And we're going to draw that out as we go through. He goes... I saw and that, that in the place of judgment there is wickedness and in the place of righteousness there is iniquity. So Solomon is saying right in my own government within my courts there is injustice. Sounds a little familiar to our world and has been the way for millennia that there is injustice in the courts and they get cleaned up. You know, Various rulers can clean them up but they will get unjust again. But he goes on to say, and even in the places of righteousness, the temple in his case, or for our case, the church, that there's iniquity and sin. And without God, that is exactly what we have in churches and in government. Without God, there's injustice and sin that reigns. And we see this all over our world with our churches even. How many churches are accepting sin and not calling it a sin? You know, we see it all the time, and you go, you talk to people and go, well, I can't believe that you believe that old-fashioned book that calls these things sins. You've got to, you've got to evolve with us. You've got, to, you've got to grow with us. Well, no, I'm going to believe what God says, thank you. <laughs> because when I stand before God, 
I want to say, God, I accepted your word. Not we made exceptions so that we could have a great big church, God, so some of your truth might get into them, but we compromised your word. No, we're going to teach his word, and if people like it, then they'll stay. If they don't like it, then they'll go before God, and they'll have had a time at least when they heard their sin was sin. And this is what Solomon's lamenting. He goes, I look around, and everything, everything's evil. It's all vanity. It's all empty. And it's really sad because he is the ruler of the government. He should be able to get rid of all the unjust judges. And he's looking around and saying there's so much. And it really shows how bad things get when sin reigns. You know, and we think about this. You know, sometimes we lament about how little influence the church has on our world. Imagine how bad this world would be without the influence the church puts on it. You know, how, much, how much sin would run rampant? Uh, Christians in the church come against so much going on with the church. We've held back so much. How will it be? Well, when the rapture happens and the church disappears, we'll find out very quickly how bad the world will get with no salt, no truth coming out, and Satan getting to say, well, we're just going to have whatever we want. And think about how bad things will get at that point. You know, we are already seeing things get bad with the church in. You know, how bad will get things quickly when the church is no longer there saying, no, God says it's wrong. Even though they don't like us saying it's wrong, at least it is salt and people hold back. And we see here this whole problem that goes in, then sin is running rampant throughout everything. Romans 3.23, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, sin reigns in human beings. When a person is born, they're born a sinner. All right? And this is something that has been said so often, and I, under, and I know that it's true. We do not, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We will sin from the moment we're born. And if you don't believe me, just look at any infant. If you've ever had an infant, you know this for true. If you, if you look at your grandchildren, uh, you'll see it happen. If you look at any, any young infant, you tell that child, no, don't touch something. And the next thing they're doing is looking around, seeing if you're looking to reach for what you just told them not to reach for. Okay? They are sinners even from birth. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah says that we are born with a deceitful heart. We are born in iniquity. So we will act out. And given free reign without God in our lives, we will act out completely sinfully. And every once in a while, you see somebody who's acted out you know, to, the, to the full max. We think of somebody like uh, bin Laden or Hitler or any of these other dictators who get all, you know, supposed all the power and they take what they want and kill kill indiscriminately and steal. This is what it's going to be like when the church is gone. And this is what Solomon is lamenting. He goes, I try to get things cleaned up and they just get bad again. I go to the church and it's bad. There's sin all over the church. Why? Because people are sinners. You know, and this is something we need to do as Christians is realize that people are sinners. You know, including us. <laughs> you know, including yourself and myself. We are sinners. We're going to disappoint people. We're going to do things that are wrong. And as long as we understand that everybody's a sinner and going to commit sin, we'll be okay. Because if you're looking for somebody to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed. Every one of us knows that. If you've, you know, a lot of times when you get married, you think your spouse is perfect when you're young and love and stupid. <laughs> and then you, 
Then you, then you grow up a little bit, and you wisen up a little bit. You get a little bit out of love, and you're going, boy, this person isn't as perfect as I thought they were. Why? Because we start seeing that they're a sinner. And this is what Solomon is saying, that everybody's a sinner out there. <laughs> it's all worthless. Verse uh, 17 says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, and there shall be a time for every purpose, for every work. And this is where he almost went the right direction. There is a time appointed for judgment. And this is something that uh, we can grab hold of so well. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, For it is appointed unto a man once to die, and then the judgment. Every person who dies will stand before God. If we are a Christian and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat, and your works will be judged by fire, and they'll just take all your works, throw them in a big fire, and see what comes out. Anything done by God through you will stand. Anything you've done of your own strength will burn up. And then you'll take it all back and say, here's, here's your reward. Here's the reward you have for your work. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will stand before the Father and Jesus at the white throne judgment. Every person who stands at the white throne's judgment is guilty is guilty. If they are standing on the white throne judgment, you are guilty. You're either standing before Jesus at the Bema Seat or you're standing before the Father and Jesus on the white throne judgment. And remember that what's going to happen at the white throne judgment is you're going to be judged for the good works you've done which don't stand up to God's righteousness. And he'll say guilty. Their own righteousness is not good enough. And what happens when you witness to people? They'll say, you know, do you, well, when you die, will you go to heaven? Well, I hope I'm good enough. You're not. Plain and simple, if that is your hope, you're not going to be good enough to go to heaven. We can never do enough good works. Isaiah tells us that all our works, all our righteousness is filthy rags. My righteousness done in my strength is a bunch of filthy rags, and the people standing at the white throne judgment are going to be standing in a bunch of filthy rags before God saying, let us into heaven. Because I've done all these good things, and he's going to look at them and say, Sorry. This is how serious it is. There's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you're putting any hope in your, in your own works, it, you're wasting your time. And this happens so often with Christians. We get saved. We get saved by grace through Jesus Christ. We know we're saved. And what do we then do? We immediately try to do good works to earn our salvation. You know, and I've seen it. Over and over for 48 years, I've watched people try to earn God's pleasure by doing good works. Does this mean good works are not good? No, they're really wonderful. But what is your motive behind it? If God is changing who you are from the inside out, making you more like him, you're going to be doing good works that hold up because they are him working through you. If you're sitting there trying to say, well, I've got to, I've got to struggle, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and, you know, I've got to do that, you're in, a bad, you're in a bad state of mind because that's not what God has. We're in a relationship with him. And he's changing us over time, and we just start becoming more like him. I've always said living the Christian life is easy. You just let God crucify you. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts to have your flesh crucified. But then you get to live his way because he gives you the strength to live. Living the Christian walk is easy. If you feel that you're struggling and striving to live the Christian walk, 
Let God crucify you. Let him crucify you and get it over with because that's what he's looking to do. And here we see Solomon, he's beginning to understand that justice is going to come. In Matthew 25, 31 and 32, Jesus will sit at the white throne and judge. In uh, first, Second Peter 3, 7, it says that all will appear before him on the judgment seat. And in Jude 15, verse 14 and 15, it says God comes to judge. There is a day of judgment. I could have picked a whole bunch of verses out of Psalms and Proverbs as well. Because David oftentimes had this same attitude. God, why are all these bad people seeming to prosper? Why, why do we seem to have such a hard time? And all these other people, nothing seems to go wrong with them. And he'd come to the end. There is a day of judgment. There is a day of reckoning. And we need to understand, God's time is not our time. And he says, I will judge. And we've used this example before, but it would be like the farmer. He's plowed his field. He's planted his field, and he says, I'm a loser. I, haven't, I don't have a crop. I've lost all this money. It's, I've wasted all my time. You know, and if he measures it at that time, before the rains have come, before the, the months have taken to grow the crop, he's going to say, I'm a total, absolute failure. Nothing's been good. But if he waits until the crop comes in, then he can say, okay, now I've either made a profit or didn't make a profit when he's brought in. God has not finished the day of reckoning for us as Christians or for the world until we stand before him for, our, for the day of judgment. That is when he says, it is over. So we just need to live each day trusting that God's got a plan, and we know that he does. You know my favorite verse, Romans 8:28. for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. He's got a plan even when it looks like there's no plan out there, and he's promised that it's a good plan. And we need to really grab hold of that. God is good all the time. Whether we see him being good or not is irrelevant. Whether we think he's being good at that time is irrelevant because he is good. He sees things totally different than we do. He sees what's going to happen. He sees what we need 10 years from now. He knows the rewards we're going to get in heaven for what he's put us through. And he says it is for good. And we will be rewarded. And those who look like they're getting away with things, they will get their reward when the day of reckoning comes. And this is where Solomon starts down the right path. But he quickly leaves that path. Verse 19 says, For that which befalls the sons of man... Oops, excuse me, 18. And I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts, that what befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. One thing, even one thing befalls them both. They both die. And neither is more important than the other. Neither man does not have preeminence. This is Solomon's despair. He looks around and says, I don't see people being blessed in this world. God supposedly is just. I don't see him being just, and all I see is people dying. And this is important for us to understand what he's saying. We think today's world is so different because when people deny God in the equation, they will say that we live and we die. And that's what we hear all the time. You know, we talk to people who believe in evolution. You live, you die, and you become worm food. Nothing happens with your, with your spirit. 
You know, and that's what they'll tell you. I've heard this over and over. You know, when you die, you just become worm food. The worms eat your body and get rid of it. Well, we make the process real fast and cremate the body and turn it to dust right away. But it still turns to dust. It still gets reused. And this is what he's saying. It, all that happens to people is they die. Man's no more important. And that is his despair. Remember, God is not teaching this as the truth. Because Genesis 1.1 says that God created man in his own image. In chapter, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1. He created man in his image. We were given preeminence over all of creation to rule until Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the world. And the sin that they brought into the world changed our world completely from a perfect world. It wasn't just man who suffered. It was all of the creation. God put a curse on it that everything would now die, that the ground would not produce its abundance, that storms would happen. We can't even imagine what it was like before the, before the curse that man brought on this world because they were in charge of the world. And that curse has ramifications all the way through. And when people put God out of the equation, what difference is there in man? We don't, we've never seen the after death. You know, and this is what he's going to say in this next, part, this next uh, question that he asks is, all go to one place, all are dust and are turned to dust again. Who knows the, sp the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast which goes downward in the earth. And he's basically saying, how do we know that there's even a heaven or, or a hell? All we know is that you die and you're done. How do we know? Because God said that there's a heaven over and over and over again. In John 3.13, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you know how do you know the, that there is an afterlife? Because he who has come down himself has told you that there is an afterlife. And then he died on the cross, and he came back again to say there is an afterlife. You know, how do we know that there is an afterlife? Because God tells us. If we throw out the testimony of God, then we do not know. And this is why it's important. We need to understand who do we believe in. Jesus said there is an afterlife. Are we going to believe him? A lot of people want to deny that Jesus is God when he said he is God. All right? A lot of people go, well, he didn't say he was God. Well, there was a couple of times, and I'll give you one great example. When he told the Pharisees and the scribes, before Abraham was, I am, he knew what he was saying. Because they said, you know, you're talking about Abraham like you knew him. You're not even 50 years old yet. How could you know him? And then he said, before Abraham was, I am. And what was their response? They picked up stones to stone him because they knew he had just claimed to be God. So we need to really look at this. Who is Jesus to us? And we come down to only three choices of who Jesus is. He is either who he says he is as Lord and Savior and Master, or he's a dirty, rotten liar who deceived people on purpose, or he was a crazy person who didn't know that he was saying, being, you know, uh, that saying God was, was insane. He's one of those three things. I know that he's Lord. But we need to really pick up what do we want to do. Am I going to just pick and choose what Jesus said and, and pick and choose what to believe, or am I going to believe what he said? It is what I keep saying about the Bible. The Bible is either all true or none of it is worth following. If I can pick and choose out of the Bible what I want to believe and not believe, the Bible is not a book that I can put my life on. 
And the Bible is where I understand that there is eternal life. That I understand that there is a God who brings justice. That I understand that he created all things. Without that book, I'm left to the world's thinking. Without God, how, do, how did the world get here in the first place? Well, let's come up with some crazy idea. Nothing blew, in, nothing blew, up, and blew, blew up into everything. And which is the amazing thing that scientists believe that. There was nothing, and all of a sudden there was everything. You know, we didn't have any life anywhere, and all of a sudden life just popped into existence. Even though we know that there's no such thing as spontaneous uh, uh, generation of life, but if you're an evolutionist, you believe in spontaneous generation of life at least once. You know, but it, it can't happen. We know that it can't happen. It's a law that it can't happen, but if you're an evolutionist, you believe that it did. The insanity of the thinking without God is all over the place. And it really is insanity with the things that they come up with. You know, uh, we look at atoms. I mean, I love science with a great passion. You look at an atom, and you've got a bunch of protons stuck together in the center of an atom. And we know by, by the laws of uh, electricity, the protons won't stay together. They will blow apart. And then you've got electrons circling the whole thing that should be dra drawn into the atom, and yet it doesn't fall apart. And what the scientists call it? Nuclear force. They have no idea why it violates all the laws of science. They just call it nuclear force. The Bible tells us that all things are held together by the Creator. That Jesus holds all things together. He holds that atom together because it would, by nature, fall apart. You know, we look at these things and we put God in the midst of it. It all makes sense. Without God, we look at it and say... These are crazy. I don't understand anything. And this is what we're seeing from Solomon. He says, without God, we're all just a bunch of animals. Sounds just a little bit like evolution, doesn't it? We're nothing but a bunch of evolved animals, and we're not any better. And we actually hear this say, being said by scientists that a, that a pig, a dog, a rat, and a human are all the same thing. A baby are all the same thing. No, none of them have any more importance. And a matter of fact, they will push it the other way and say, because man can think and control some of their environment, the dog and the pig and the rat are more important than man. And that's why we get these, these crazy things. Well, we're going to protect these, but we can murder our, ba our babies in the womb for, with abortion. We can murder our old people through euthanasia because they're not all that important and they can think and control their own life. But these, these animals, we've got to protect these animals for ev with everything we have. Without God, man's place is pushed down to lower than the animals. The animals become more important because they, don't, they can't protect themselves from man. This is what Solomon is saying. You know, we think, you know, again, we say, oh, how many times he says oh, in this book, there's nothing new under the sun? This whole idea of evolution is really not that new. This idea that man and animals are just the same is not new. It's been happening all through history. Why could these people in those days just sacrifice their children on the altars to the burnt, and burn them on the altars for God? Because they just looked at it and said, there's nothing special about man. We're just equal, all equal, so we'll just get rid of our kids. What do we do? We burn our children in the womb with saline solutions. We've, we suck them out with vacuums and, and cause them great pain. We're doing the same thing that's always been done. Why? Because we don't recognize God saying that they're important. How does it matter? When we put God in his right place in our life, it will impact every decision that we make. It will change the way we think about everything. 
our world is says that when you get married, there's no big deal. You make all these vows promising to stay together for a lifetime, and then you just decide you don't like each other and break those vows, and you have no consequences. Well, you know, the sad thing about that, there are huge consequences in divorce. I've seen them firsthand. You know, I thought I got away unscathed when my parents got divorced because I was 15 and I didn't feel like I went through. I didn't realize how much I had been affected until the 15th year of my marriage when I'm thinking in, way back in the back of my mind saying, my parents got divorced at this time, what, what does this mean for me? The harm to the children from divorce is much more than the parents ever think of it. Beyond all that, I've seen so many divorced couples that still have hatred toward each other because their lives have been ripped. When we get married, God joins together the souls, and when we get divorced, there's a rip in the soul. It is not a clean cut. It rips the soul, and there's a ragged edge. And then we meet people who've gotten divorced four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, and you start talking to them, and they really have a very damaged, ripped soul because it has been ripped so many times to shreds there is there is consequences for everything we do when we violate God's way of doing things you know, and it is true just pick your sin it doesn't matter what sin you want to pick they're all out there pick any sin and you know if you've participated in that sin you know how it has ripped you up and there's consequences for it how many times do we find somebody who's lived in and abused alcohol and then they end up at the end of their life with, with cirrhosis of the liver and damaged organs? You get the people in the drugs that get the same thing where their interior organs are all damaged and they're usually damaged at a fairly early age when they should have been living at 80, 90 years old and they're extremely sick at 40, 50, 60 years. There's damage when we throw God out of our life. And we need to really say, God, I want you in the center of my life, and I want to make you Lord. How do I follow God? I get into a relationship with him. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this as I, as I think, think about this. so many people I know that struggle through every day. They, they struggle and fight against God. They struggle and they fight against uh, emotions and attitudes and bitterness towards people. And in almost every case, I, want, I don't want to say every case, but in almost every case, you ask them, well, how much do you read your Bible? Well, not much. How much time do you spend in prayer? Well, not much. How do we make Jesus Christ Lord of our life? Meet him every day. Meet him every day. Read the word. Pray with him. Meet his, meet his fellow believers and enjoy the fellowship with him. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them, said Jesus. When we meet together, Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Now, he's with us all the time, but he is really present when we meet together. When you get together and you just talk about God in the middle of the grocery store because you meet each other and you're having a good time, he's there. Two of you have met together, he's there. You know, bring him into your life. Get into a relationship. The more you're in a relationship with God, the more you're going to become like him. If you've ever met somebody who's had a really long marriage, they've been married 30, 40, 50 years, the amazing thing starts happening. They start thinking alike. They know what the other is going to do. They know how the other is going to behave. They might even be able to finish each other's sentences. You know, and if you talk to one, you'd be just like talking to the other. Why? Because they have been together so long that they know each other and they become like each other. Do you want to become more godly, more righteous? 
spend a lot of time with Jesus, spend a lot of time with God, and he will make you like him. You know, you're not going to make him like you. He will make you like him. It's one of the very few relationships where you're not going to become like the other person. <laughs> All right? He is not going to become like us. He is going to make us like him. What a blessing it will be to walk with him. Hopefully you've experienced that. Hopefully you've experienced getting closer and closer to God and seeing your thinking change, see your way of acting change. I love it because sometimes I go through something and I'm going, wow, I didn't get mad at that person. You know, a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago, I would have ripped that person to shreds for doing that. I haven't got the way of driving yet. I still get mad at people driving. <laughs> I don't like stupid drivers and God's got to work on that one yet. But you know, do we really understand who God is? In this section, Solomon had said, the sons of man are just beast. The statement sons of man goes all the way back to Genesis 6 where it talked about the sons of man and the, and the, and the, daughter, uh, the, and the daughters of you know, God. Unrighteous sons of man and then the righteous. He says those unrighteous ones are just beasts. In one sense he's true. We are born in sin which means spiritually we're born dead. Everybody in this world is born dead spiritually with, until they get to know Jesus because Jesus remember told Nicodemus that you must be born again okay you were born one born the first time in flesh and blood without a spiritual life because Adam and Eve sinned the spirit died they do not pass on a spirit because they died we're born again through God and he gives us a spirit and that changes everything about our life and in the Hebrew, in the Greek rather, the word is zoe life. It is real life, excited life. Not just biological life, but a real strong life that he is in, spiritual life. If you know Jesus, you know what it means to have that spiritual life. There is nobody that can convince me that I don't know God because I know him. And if you should be in that point where somebody goes, well, how do you know that there's a God? Because I get to talk to him every day, and he talks back to me, and he leads my life. And he has changed my life, and there's so many changes in my life that I'm going, there's got to be a God because I couldn't have made all those changes in my life, especially the early ones that came overnight. When I got saved, God made major changes in my life overnight. And hopefully he's made changes in your life that you can say, yes, God changed me. And I have a personal belief that if there's not at least one big thing that changed in your life, you're probably not saved. Because he's going to change you. That's his promise. We have new life. We're a new creation. And there's going to be something different about us for knowing him. And this is important for us because Solomon's whole contention here, without God, life is worthless. And it is. Without God, life is totally worthless worthless and vain and he ends this particular section with therefore I perceive that there is nothing better than for a man should rejoice in his own works for in his own portion for who shall bring him to see after in other words all you have is what you do and there's nothing after there and without God that's exactly true without God all you can do is eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you die <laughs> with God 
I have eternity to look forward to. God, help me walk this life in a way that's redeeming and, and blessing to you, and I'll have eternity to live for you. And it's a really great thing, knowing that there is an eternity. And I've said this so many times. People, I've, asked, I've had people ask me, you know, well, how do you know that, the, you know, or they'll ask, what if you're wrong about eternity? And I'm going, I have lost nothing if I'm wrong because I have, God has given me a great life now. He has given me peace. He has given me great understanding of what's going on. He's given me protection. And it's his peace and his protection and all of that that proved to me that if it's true for here, it's going to be true that there's an afterlife, plus Jesus said there was. Because I'll go, well, okay, I'm having a wonderful life. What about you? Very few people have ever said that they have a really good life and they're happy with their life. Why? Because Solomon has already told us. There is no joy, ultimately, in anything. He gathered great wealth and said it is vanity. He built all these buildings, put his name on everything, and said it's all vanity. He had great fame. Everybody loved him, and he said it's all vanity. I still feel empty. He had all the women that he could possibly want, and then some, and he said it's all vanity. He said, I've done the alcohol thing. It's all vanity. He goes, I've done the drug thing. It's all vanity. He put it all there. We don't need to be trying what he's already tried. Because he said it's all empty. How do we know that it's still empty? Well, all you've got to do is look at all these starlets and super wealthy people who get addicted to drugs because they're still looking for something. You know, they end up committing suicide because they're still not happy. And we go, well, you know, if I had all that money, if I had all that fame, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't be. Without God, you wouldn't be happy any happier than they are. It never is the answer. God is the answer to our peaceful life, a good life. Without him, it's all empty because he created us to need him. All right? He created us to need him. There's a God-shaped spot in our heart that needs God. And nothing that we can do is big enough to fill a God-shaped spot because he's infinite. And nothing else we do is, is infinite. Nothing else is going to be enough. How much money are you going to need to fill a God-shaped infinite hole? You would need an infinite amount of money, and you're not going to get an infinite amount, infinite amount of money. How much fame would you need? You need an infinite amount of fame, and you're not going to get an infinite amount of fame because there's only so many people on the world. You know, so you can't get an infinite amount of fame. Nothing will fill that emptiness but God. And we need to really understand it. And this is where Solomon came at the very end of it. He said, so here's the conclusion of the matter. Love God and keep his commandments. Love him, and then he will give us the strength to keep his commandments. Everything without God is totally empty because we start out empty. We start out dead, and we come to God, and he gives us that life. And that life is ultimately what people are looking for. And if God's not enough, you're not drawing close enough to him. If you're a Christian and he's not enough and you're still trying to chase everything out, chase God. You know, he said, seek me and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Ask and it will be given to you. If you do not have enough of God, ask him for more. <laughs> ask him for more. Make him your Lord. Make him your Savior and follow him. Who knows what he'll do? He might make you famous once you're in, in, following him. You know, Billy Graham is one of the most famous men before he died. Everybody knew him. 
But his goal was always to talk about God. And it's amazing now that he's dead, you hear everybody talking about how every single time, no matter who he was with, he preached the gospel to them or taught the gospel to them. All these presidents, all these dignitaries around the world, and he would be told, don't talk about God to them, and he'd talk about God to them because that's who he was. And he became famous. There have been some very wealthy Christian people who have given tons of money to God and were still millionaires. Is that for everybody? Only if you're going to keep God first. Most of us would probably never be a millionaire because God knows that if we became a millionaire, we'd start walking away from him. And I've seen it over and over again. People get the blessings, they get some money, and they start buying stuff. And then once you buy the stuff, it's, okay, I've got to use my stuff. You know, I, you know, I would love to have a boat someday, but when would I use the boat? Because I'm busy every day of the week with church stuff, and it's when would I use the boat? Especially when I've got to drive lots of ways to get to where a boat could be used. But I love the water. But hopefully I'll get a boat when I'm in heaven. <laughs> You know, I don't know if I want a boat in heaven, but, <laughs> but you know, but it comes down to it. I've seen so many people, they get stuff. Well, you know, I've got my mountain cabin. I've got to go visit the mountain cabin sometimes, and it's all got to be the weekends. I've got my Oceanside cabin. I've got to go use it once in a while. I've got to use my boat. I've got to use my RV. And they take the blessings that God has given them and walk away from God just as Solomon did. Solomon took the blessings that God gave him and walked away from God. And then said, everything's empty. How much is God in charge of your life? And this is my challenge for each one of us. No matter where we are with God in our life, he's not in charge of enough of it. Okay? No matter where you are, if you're just starting, he's not in, you know, you, you know. But it, if you've been walking with God for 60 or 80 years, you still haven't, and given God your whole life all the way through, you still haven't given him enough of your life. Because we will never fully understand the infinity of God. How much does God love? Every time I begin to think I'm understanding God's love, he expands upon it and blows my mind about how loving he is. How much grace does God give? I think I've got a pretty good handle on grace, and he still comes in and says, let me just show you how much grace I have. And it's like, wow, God, I don't understand. How forgiving is God? We don't even understand the tithe of what he says for forgiveness. We will never know God completely because he is so infinitely more than what we can know. So every time you think you know God, ask him to show you more because there is more to be seen. Every time you think you know his love, ask him to show more of your love because the more he shows you, the more loving you're going to become to others. The more he shows you his forgiveness, the more you're going to be forgiving of others. The more he shows you how sinful we are, because in the depth of our heart, we're told we do not understand how sinful we are. And I understand that statement a little bit. Because every time I think I'm doing pretty good, God shows me a little deeper into my heart and says, here's some more stuff for you to get rid of. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I am the chiefest of sinners. Now, most commentaries say that he's reflecting back to when he was a non-Christian and was persecuting the church. I do not believe that. I believe God was showing him, because he was a Pharisee, thinking he was pretty good, God was showing him how desperately wicked his heart was, and he was really starting to see, oh, man, I am a terrible sinner. And that shouldn't depress us. It just tells us to turn it over to God. 
turn over those sins to God because he will just keep shining the light on your sin and show you deeper and deeper and that there's more and more sin in our heart because he wants us to continue growing. Because if we think that we're perfect, we're not going to grow anymore. And we become the standard of how everybody else should live. You know, think about that. You know, if, if I think I'm perfect, then I become the standard that I'm going to judge everybody by. But God keeps showing me that I'm nothing but a, a rotten sinner. I'm not going to get to this place where I'm going to be the standard because God is the standard. So I want to encourage us. Let's seek God deeper and deeper. Let's get closer to God in relationship with him so that we can become more like him. And in becoming more like him, we can minister better to others around us. We can be more loving, more kind. We can take that person that, we, that makes us nervous when we just see them walking down the street our direction and say, God, I want to learn to love that person. God, I want to learn to forgive them. Yes, they, maybe they hurt you drastically and you go, God, help me to forgive them because I hurt you and you forgave me. This is where we want to be. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that they will today recognize they're a sinner and that the judgment is coming and that they will just call out to you and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I accept your gift on the cross. Come into my life and save me. Lord, if there's anybody here also that just needs to know you deeper, and that is every one of us and everyone that listens to this, Lord, we ask that, they, that each one of us will call out Lord, let me know, learn more about you. Lord, let me become more like you and s treat others the way you treat me. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.